The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk. I'm Carrie Charles, your host. Very excited to have you with me today. I have a special guest that I'd like to introduce you to. His name is Paul Rupert. He is a Harvard graduate, skilled negotiator, CPAS veteran, and holder of two tech patents. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about Paul before we get started. Paul took an idea regarding SMS security and launched a service called Messaging Trust with AT&T, generated $6 million in revenues in its first year. It also won the Global Product Award for Best Cybersecurity Solution from the GSM Association in 2013. This is how our data and our phones are kept safe. Paul also led the development of the cutting-edge use of voice recognition by brokering a $6 million joint investment between Microsoft and AT&T to fund the trial launch of a service called Wildfire. This type of interface is what Apple adopted for the iPhone in 2010. Today, we know her as Siri. So Paul has a successful track record in the tech industry, having generated 400 million or more in tech sales over the past 10 years and engineered multiple trade acquisitions. His clients include Facebook, MasterCard, Western Union, and multiple private equity firms. So Paul, thank you for joining me today. There is just so much to talk about here and so many questions I wanna ask you. Hello, Carrie. Thank you very much for the invitation and the opportunity to speak to your audience. It's great to be here. So Paul, you have scaled startups from zero to billion dollar valuations. Talk a little bit about this. I wanna, obviously want, I wanna hear the how and the why that could take days and years, <laughs> but it's just really exciting what you've done. Yeah, I will probably look back on being involved in a startup after having been inside now what is now AT&T, back then it was Pacific Bell Mobile Services, one of the first GSM operators that we launched in North America, I had the opportunity to join a startup that was called Mobile 365. And it became one of the pioneering leaders in the messaging interoperability space. So one of those patents that I have is the ability to be able to send a text message from what's called the native GSM radio format to the non-GSM radio format. So in layman's terms, that means that a message from, uh, let's say, Vodafone in the UK, what is now known as T-Mobile US in the US, to Verizon could occur. And that was back in 2001. That was a great run. We went from zero to about $120 million in revenues and a $430 million liquidity event and exit in just five years. So it may not have been a unicorn, but it was certainly a sunicorn in the context of where <laughs> our growth rate was. And we decided to sell the company instead of doing an IPO for a host of other reasons. And I've also been involved in other initiatives since then in the messaging space specifically, as well as you mentioned, a lot of my clients now, I'm an, essentially an advisor and consultant to many private equity firms that are looking to make investments in this space. And I help them do commercial due diligence and assess what the opportunities and risks might be around those types of investments. 
You've done a lot of high stake deal negotiation in your past. Can you tell me maybe just a couple of tips for those of us who would like to learn this style of negotiation? I come to it from a different perspective. I'm not a technologist. You mentioned that I've got a graduate degree in public administration from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. Now, how you get from that to having developed two patents in messaging interoperability is not the most linear path. My experience professionally, I've been called an ambidextrous executive. And what does that mean? Turns out that I have both private sector experience that you've highlighted here. But prior to that, I also had public sector experience. So in my public, what I would call political sector experience, that included right out of college, I was serving as a legislative assistant to a U.S. senator named John Danforth from Missouri. I eventually became an economic development policy advisor to Secretary Jack Kemp at the Department of Housing and Urban Development, a political strategist on political campaigns, technology trade association lobbyist. And so that gave me at least a, let's say, an exposure to, as you put it, high stakes negotiations. All negotiations are essentially high stakes, but that kind of is where I really cut my teeth in it. And that's my perspective in terms of being able to develop coalitions, being able to develop partnerships when you walk into any type of negotiation, you're really talking about a relationship. And sometimes the relationship is between you and your counterpart in the room, but many times there's also a third party in a number of different forms or fashions, whether it might be the public interest, the public good, or it might be shareholders or board members. It all depends on the environment that you're operating in. I would say that For your listeners, if you'd want to get an insight on a somewhat academic, but still nonetheless very approachable and very understandable book or books on negotiations, one is called The Manager's Negotiator, and it's written by a Harvard Business School professor named James Sabanius. Professor Sabanius has been teaching negotiations analysis for over 30 years at Harvard Business School, and that's where I took his course. He's also got another book that came out about 20 years ago called Three-Dimensional Negotiation. Both are great treatises and great foundations on how you might want to approach negotiation, whether it's the most mundane thing or the most high stakes, as you would put it. So, Paul, get the feeling that you think differently than most people. And so I'm just curious, how do you spot trends? How do you draw these connections and be able to see the big picture ahead of you. I think the problem with high technology and specifically in the mobile telephony world, I know you're a veteran of this space as well. The reality is that many times you have people who are very linear and are very good with one thing and have been doing that for a very long time. This is the Malcolm Gladwell. If you do something 10,000 times, you become an expert. My counter is if you have a range of skills, you are much more suited to be able to identify and be more creative in your problem solving. And that's how I explain how I see the world. There's, instead of looking at just one dynamic, there's even in the Japanese business world, there is a term called the Galapagos syndrome. This actually exists. And it essentially talks about how specialized or isolated development makes a solution incapable of competing in dynamic and agile developments or the environments outside of that. And it essentially goes to Charles Darwin, where Darwin was talking about the species on the Galapagos Islands who were thriving there, but once they got outside of that environment, they failed. They didn't survive because they didn't have the ability to pivot, 
and think differently and have that agile capability. So that's how I look at the world. Many years ago, we had talked about this in our pre-call. I used to be, uh, I used to write a blog on Mobile Point View, which was a website that I had at the time. And I coined a term called InnoVisioneering. And essentially, it comes down to how do you hunt for innovations? And what's the process of developing innovation and hunting that? And my hunting, I thought about, okay, we're looking at innovation. We have to have the right vision. And it's not really engineering. I combined it to create orienteering because you are looking for the relationships or the adjacent opportunities, not just the problem that you're facing that may be one-dimensional. So that's how I think about things a Mm. little bit differently. So let's go back to messaging. What are you seeing as trends in messaging, let's say in the U.S. or even globally right now? Sure. I would probably say that all trends are international and global first and foremost, primarily because of the nature of telecommunications is that it is by definition a global initiative. And then secondarily, I've been in the space since its breakout, where originally text messaging SMS was 160 characters that was not used for a communications solution, but in fact, it was to enable such things as one-time passwords and other types of system services, turn-on solutions that a mobile network operator would be able to deliver to your handset. And then it was taken, again, an adjacent opportunity was exploited here where some engineers were like, hey, we could fit 160 characters into this. Maybe we should try that. And it turned into a cultural and historical phenomenon. And so today, when we start talking about SMS, we're talking about 15 trillion text messages are sent globally into the ether every year. And where we are today is now there's a solution and capability of the industry called CPaaS. So this is essentially a SaaS commercial model, a software as a service solution, which essentially means that it's in the cloud. And then you are integrating a number of different telecommunications platforms, which are primarily including SMS, but also includes voice or video, as we're doing right now, as well as over-the-top capabilities, which is another form of messaging that is delivered through solutions like WhatsApp, Fiber, or Viber, Facebook, etc., as well as in-app push messaging, which is also a form of messaging, and then even legacy-style email. And that's all combined in an artificial intelligence solution. And the objective here is how enterprises can more effectively communicate with their consumers. That's the communications platforms as a service element, or it could be enhancing digitalization within the internal operations of an enterprise. So that's usually called CCAS. So these are the two directions that we're going in messaging today. One thing that's just so important in our industry right now in every single area is cybersecurity. What opportunities do you see in the mobile cybersecurity segment right now? The reality of cyber is that there has been, this is the term that's been in place now almost for 20 years in terms of the threat to broader networks. You can have a subsegment of that, which is the threat to specific mobile networks. And the mobile networks really have been pretty pretty sound in terms of their security capabilities. You really don't hear anything about a hack of a mobile network operator 
primarily because of the nature of firewalls and the way these are all segmented out. But one of the things that I'm interested in is the application of quantum computing, which is a different style of computing structure than the classical, as it's now called, the classical architecture that we use today using bits and bytes. And this gets into high-level science that's well beyond me, but the reality is that this is the direction that we're heading, primarily because quantum computing makes computing so much faster, like a quantum level faster, that more and more data can be analyzed and be predicted and be defended against various types of fraud or any types of eavesdropping. This is um, gaining a lot of traction in the intelligence community, the National Security Agency, and things of that nature. So that this could also be applied, in my view, as and others who are active in the business in the telecommunication space, whether it's repeaters or network functionality or just to be able to monitor and patrol, if you will, the trillions of messages that are out. You're just masterful with people. We're going to talk about people now. Okay. Uh, just switch from tech to people real, real quick. Relationships. Sure. Relationships and human beings. <laughs> yes. So you really are masterful with strategic partnerships. You. <laughs> you are. Look at what you've accomplished. My goodness. Because you've had to do it through people, right? Yeah. And so I'm just curious when it comes to these partnerships and creating them and nurturing them and this engagement from customers, how do you navigate all of that and make sure that you have the right people, the right intentions, yeah. and everything's moving in the right direction. And it's huge in business. That's our number one objective, right? Is making sure that we have the right relationships and it's accomplishing what we need to accomplish. Yeah. I once had a conversation with another podcast host who went deep on this as well. And I guess my upbringing probably trained me for capabilities later in life to see commonalities instead of differences. And that's primarily because as a child, I used to travel to Europe with my mother, who's ha who's French. So I am half French. And as a result of that, I was able to see a very different world, primarily because of the cultures in Europe were different than the cultures in the US. And then along the way, whether it was my operating in the political slash public realm, or even in the in industry slash private sector realm, I see, for example, the telecommunications, really simple product. We're talking about minutes messaging via, but it's applied to billions of people, hundreds of cultures and languages. And so I look at problem solving, it goes beyond just the mechanics of how something works or the problems at the face value of the problems. And instead, I look to understand who will use it and why. So I try to go a couple layers deeper than more conventional analysis. That's it's when you start asking such questions, it becomes, wow, I've really got to contemplate my navel here as to what makes me different or what makes me similar and how I've been able to leverage that with the successes. It doesn't mean it's all been successful. We all have failures in life. That's how I approach the approach these things. I try to make my way through life. I love the commonality piece because we all like people who are like us. And when you we really have something in common with every single person Absolutely. that we come yes. across, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. And that really helps to create and also maintain those partnerships. The talent landscape's changing. The world is changing. Technology, mm -hmm. automation, obviously workforce trends. We have less people in the workforce. And th there's a lot of noise out there around this. But what's, what are your thoughts on what type of talent 
will thrive in our new world of work and really in our industry as we with broadband and 5G and everything happening today. Yeah, I'm going to throw another book at you. Have it. You should pick up the book that's titled Range. And it's written by an author named David Epstein. So I was essentially utilizing some of the concepts that he talks about, which is essentially that you've got to have talent that is broadly trained and not just in their approach. I've been advising a son of a friend of mine who's extremely successful in the IT world. He's got an undergraduate degree from Cal in computer science, but he spent the last five, six years just in that realm. And I've been trying to counsel him that he needs to be able to broaden his perspective. Otherwise, he's going to be very narrowly defined as he moves forward in his career. And that means that his opportunities may not be as broad as he would like or as he would hope. The obvious direction that I've been trying to tell him is, okay, maybe you should be reading other things. Try Sun Tzu, The Art of War, and <laughs> as well as, which is not going to be, I shouldn't say not going to be, but is rarely going to be talked about in a computer science program, but it does get addressed in a public administration program or a business school program and a host of different environments. The point here is that you've got to have multiple skill sets and a range of vision to be able to solve the problems that are going to be manifold and integrated, interconnected, so and interdependent as we move forward. Just look at things like climate change. If you're just looking at it from one perspective, you're not going to be able to integrate and have an understanding of the broader implications, as well as being able to create a solution to be able to deal with that, which is why it's one of the biggest problems we're facing. A big challenge that I hear now is that, and I can say this, I'm 55. There's this segment of the workforce that's just that I'll call it middle age. That's what I feel like I am. We have, many of us have been doing, working in one area yeah. for so long. And we know this area, we know it really well, but this area is changing. So what do we do at this age to say, how do I keep myself relevant? How do I keep my skills relevant? And I want to make sure that I have the ability to grow with this new world of work and technology. Yeah, that is very dependent upon individual's circumstances. But the reality is that you've got to be agile and nimble in everything that you undertake. Let me throw that back to you, Carrie. Would you have been thinking that you would be doing something like a radio show a decade? <laughs> if you had asked me and asked me, no would way. you be expecting to be a host or no, excuse me, a guest on a quasi radio show? Obviously, we're talking about podcasts and where we are right now. The answer would have been no, not really. But the reality of how you be able to send your message as to who you are, as well as the value proposition, this is just as we talked about at the beginning, this is much about relationships because you are establishing relationships with hundreds of people who've been guests on your podcast. So there's the people aspect. Then the vision element is, can you look beyond or over the horizon which is another term that I often use in terms of just being able to analyze a problem so that you have big, per, big picture perspective of things is just instead of that small picture perspective of, let's say, the overseeing the operating performance or the engine performance of your company or whatever you might be doing, whether you might be an accountant or whatever it might be, meaning not being so narrowly defined. And then an understanding that you can make those changes, let's say, call it a faith in your ability to move forward. So I hear you saying, grow, learn, take risks, right? Step yes. out of that comfort zone in that box. No, I love that. Put, I love that. 
So what are you doing now? I want to hear more about that. You mentioned a little bit in the beginning, but what are you doing now and what's next for you? What's on the horizon? Is it another billion dollar company or are you going to, you got a unicorn in your back pocket? <laughs> <laughs> I wish, but back to where you are in the journey. What I do now is essentially I'm a consultant back to the industry that I grew up in, if you will, with clients who've been involved with InfoBip and Route Mobile, as well as others lists that I could go through that most your audience probably has never heard of, but I also do a lot of work with private equity firms, as I've mentioned, including the Carlisle Group, HIG Capital, most recently one with the National Bank of Kuwait, very interesting dynamic and project, providing insight in terms of the technology, mobile technology, as I mentioned earlier, and then being able to progress that forward into new opportunities, new ventures, new investments, et cetera. So I still have a hand in that, let's say, helping others identify that next unicorn, wherever it might be. And then to new opportunities, I'm always open to a conversation with anyone who'd like to consult as to how I might be able to help them in terms of taking their company to the next level or next stage and looking for strategic guidance, which is what I provide. Paul, this is this has been fantastic. I know I've learned a lot. How can we reach you? So you can go to LinkedIn, which everybody does these yes, days. Do. I'm listed as Paul R. Rupert, R-U-P-P-E-R-T. You can also go to my website, which is www.gpvltd.com, which stands for Global Point View, which is the name of my consulting company. And that's the best way to reach out to me. And I Wonderful. know people do. Yes, please do. I found it fascinating to talk to you. Now it's the second time and I hope that we can stay in touch, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Kara. Great to be here. Yes, take care. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.